What's up, everybody? You are listening to Racing Roots, the podcast, where our roots run deep in the motorsports world. What's up, everybody? You are listening to Racing Roots, the podcast. I am joined by my co-host, Allison McKinney. And today we have a super, super special guest, um, probably somebody that I'm most excited about having. Um, I feel like our history goes way back, even though we're young and uh, don't have you know, too, too much of a history. Um, but we have Brooke Schumann, um, with us. And if you don't know Brooke, I'm sure you have seen her around a racetrack at some point. Um, she is always around, always working hard. Um, and we're really excited to get to know a little bit more about you today, Brooke. What's up everybody. <laughs> I'm so excited. I full on have imposter syndrome going on right now. Cause I'm like, who wants to know me like <laughs> I'm so lame but I'm excited I'm gonna try to be exciting <laughs> well no, I think I feel like I feel like you're one of the people kind of like Taylor and I are where people walk away going I know her because of this situation or that situation and they don't realize what all you do and what all you have done so oh for sure for sure I can't tell you how many times I've been in a conversation at the racetrack and I'm you know not trying to like hate on guys but like I'm getting mansplained something and I'm like uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. You go roll your stagger. I don't need you to tell me. Thank you though. Like I, it's, it gets annoying sometimes, like, especially the older I get and I'm not around the track as often. Um, I'm just people that don't know me, especially like the younger crowd. I definitely don't know. I'm little things of like, I catch little conversations and it's just funny. Cause I'm people don't expect a girl to know a whole lot. And I've been around the racing scene for such a long time. You just, there's just things that I know that are <laughs> saved up in my memory bank. And, you know, you just hear about stuff here and there and people don't expect you to know or, or know anybody. And I, and I, I don't like name dropping either. So I never like interject in the conversation to be like, oh, I know that, or, oh, I know that person, or I was there. I'm the one that like, they'll be telling the story and it's people I know, or maybe I was even there or something. And I just walk away and I'm like, Oh yeah, good story. Like I won't tell them. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I just, I'm like, I'm not that person. I don't really care. Yeah. It actually reminds me of a funny story. So I'm going to um, watch me just hijack this whole podcast. Um, I actually think I picked that mannerism up from someone, um, a long time ago. So on the, I was on the road with, um, Billy boat actually. And I, it was, um, it was right after my cousin passed away and Bill was kind enough to let me ride along with him, Chad and Chris ball. So Chad boat and Chris ball, we, um, road trip, they were coming from Arizona to go to midget week and I road trip with them. I had never met Bill. I was very much, that was the beginning of me getting more involved with racing. That was in 2010. Um, before that, I, other than being a fan of my cousin, I wasn't really involved. So I didn't know a whole lot about like history of racing with certain drivers. So maybe, you know, where this is going already, if anybody loves Billy boat. So we, they picked me up, we stopped at, I think it was Applebee's to eat like on the side of the road, you know, classic racing situation. You jump in the toter, you grab Applebee's or something on the side of the road. We were sitting down to eat. And for some reason, the storyline of Bill's racing suit or something came up and I turned to Billy boat and said, did you race? <laughs> Own face. Ball, Chris Ball 
dying laughing. He's like, I just love that you just did that to him. Oh my gosh. And Bill, like Bill played it so cool. He just was like, no. And just like ordered, like didn't care. It didn't bother him at all. I was like, and I'll never, ever forget that. I was like, I just, my goal is to be as chill as Billy boat that like (laughs) I've, I've been in an indie car at IMS. And when someone says to me, did you race? I'm just like, nah, I I dabbled. Like that is just so cool. And so I guess that's kind of where I get that mentality of like, I just don't like, I'm not going to ever walk around and be like, oh, I know this person. And I name drop this name. It's like, eh, nobody really cares. Can I cuss? Nobody really gives a shit. (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) So sorry. I just hijacked the the other thing is you, so y'all are more the same age. I'm a little bit more experienced than the two of you are. And by that, I just mean I'm older. Um, so, but I will tell you, you get to a point to where, um, like I, I would say I used to get mad when, when guys would underestimate me, you know, or underestimate my knowledge or, or, you know, my level of like paying attention to things that happen, especially at the racetrack or in the garage area. And then you get to a point where all of a sudden you just kind of enjoy that they underestimate you because, because it's just kind of like extra ammo in your back pocket, you know? Oh, for sure. So, and that's just like, that's, that's me in, in life in general, you know, it, being a female can be, it's very easy to take the road of like, it's hindering and it, it holds me back and it's, which it can be for sure. But for me, the way I've always tried to like handle it is like, this is the card. These are the cards I was dealt and I'm going to do my best with what I have. And right. if that means that people are going to underestimate me and I can get, I can have more information or I can, you know, there's been a lot of times that I've gained information by being a female that like a a man at a racetrack wasn't threatened by, you know, especially on the promoting side, like with Casey and I and the promoting stuff that we've done, there's been a lot of times that, um, like I would, he would send me to approach or I would go and approach, um, a racetrack owner or like these people that, you know, men men like a guy to a guy it it, they can feel a little bit threatened but when it's a a girl walking up they it feels like it's I think it's kind of disarming sometimes so you get further and they they're more they'll listen and they don't they're not like expecting you to like backstab them or something and they just you know that's so I've I feel like in in my experience as a female in general with racing I just I try not to look at it as a setback I try to look at it as, as like how can I shape this to to my advantage, you know, just like every, and that's, that's all you can do in life is just take the cards you have and whatever someone else sees is like, would be a setback. You got to find a way to make it your superpower, basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I know you say you don't like to talk about who, you know, or things like that. (laughs) Um, but talk a little bit, because I think this, this kind of was a transition point for you in your life, but talk about your cousin and who he was and how that helped fuel your passion to be involved in racing. For sure. Um, so, uh, my cousin, Jesse Hockett, um, was a great, incredible race car driver. And I, to this day, I, I have a hard time being at the racetrack and watching other people race. There's just no one else like him. There will never be another one. Um, so, I mean, that, we're in 2021. He died in 2010 and I'm 11 years in the, into this May 26th will be 11 years. And it's like, I still sit at the racetrack and think like, man, I just wonder what he'd be doing. I just want to know so bad. It's where that's what eats me up the most is like, what would he be doing? What would his kids be like? Where, mm-hmm. you know, what successes would he have? He'd be promoting races for sure. He might even have owned a racetrack by now. Like he had such a passion. If you're talking about racing roots, like he was, he, he loved it more than anyone. And so, no, and I, 
um, my dad didn't want me to race. My dad raced sprint cars. Um, I have five siblings and none of the kids race. It was my dad raced and we all kind of went and we were his like pit crew or whatever. <laughs> so, um, we, I didn't race. None of my siblings raced, but Jesse was, is my, so Jesse is my mother's brother son. So he's my first cousin and we all would spend every summer together at the lake. Um, so he would, you know, I don't know. Every family is different. Cousins mean different things to different families, but to us, it's like an, it was our nuclear family. Like Jesse, we spent a lot of time with him, especially my older siblings. Um, like my sister, Bobby, my sister, Brittany, my brother, Tyler, like they were super, super close to Jesse. And so losing him was a huge shock. We, we actually lost Daniel, my other cousin, who was Jesse's crew chief in 2005 to a car accident. So when we lost Daniel, that was a shock and that was super hard. And I think like in my mind, I was like, okay, especially being so young and naive as I was, I was like, that's our lot. We've taken our lot of pain, I guess, is, and I felt safe. I felt secure. And so when Jesse was ripped from us, it was, it probably hit me harder than Daniel because I, in my head thought like, no more, that's yeah. it. Yeah, That sucked. Yeah. And so losing Jesse was probably, it hit me harder. And I, and I had a really hard time. I, I really struggled with, um, like I even questioned, like questioned my, my faith. I, I questioned everything. I was like, what's the point? What does any of it mean? You know, that was really hard. Um, cause I was 18 or 19 at the time, you know, everything, I was just at that point of trying to figure out who I was and I didn't even, I still don't know who I am. I'm 29 now. So <laughs> yeah, that's been a long out. road. Yeah. Um, but you figure it out. Let us know. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 an, it's an evolving story, but, um, just, but Jesse being as passionate as he was like when Daniel died, he, he created the Daniel McMillan Memorial race and he, instead of, re of recoiling away, he gave more and he, he so for me, I hadn't been that involved in racing. Um, my family didn't like, I didn't race my, my direct, my, my brothers and sisters didn't race. We just went on the weekends to watch my dad sometimes. And if Jesse was racing close, we'd go watch and loved watching him race. It was so much fun, but I wasn't like immersed in the community. Like for example, Jesse raced at the indoor KC arenas midgets. I can't remember what it was like Mitch's some Christmas race yeah. indoor race. It was where I met Brian actually. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was there. It was when twilight was like the thing I was, I was immersed in my book reading twilight in the trailer and the, so it was kind of like chili bowl, but it was in the Casey Kansas city arena. And, um, so they would all go race and then come back, um, to the trailers, which was a warmer area. So I didn't even watch a single lap. Didn't watch a single lap. Didn't care. I was like, it's cold. I'm just gonna stay here with my blanket and my book. Didn't care. And at that race, my nephew TJ was playing football, like playing catch with Brian. And he won that night. Didn't know. Didn't know. I was there to watch Jesse and then it was <laughs> yeah. too cold. So I didn't pay attention. Yeah. And I remember like leaving and I said to somebody, he, Brian like approached us and was being nice and like being nice to me. And I remember saying something to somebody about like him being a crew guy or something. And they just thought that was so hilarious because I, Again, the same thing I did to Billy Boat. Yeah. I just was like, I did not know, <laughs> did not know. And just, but I think that Brian really like appreciated that. He was like, yeah. thought that was, I'm sure it took, he was taken aback at first, but it was like, that's kind of funny or whatever. You know, yeah. he was, he, he had a good sense of humor and, but that's where I was at with it. Like, I didn't know anybody. And then Jesse passed away and I had from getting, from being friends with Brian and getting close to him, I had kind of 
gotten to know some people. Like I knew Chris Ball, I knew Brian, I knew Brad Sweet, I knew Brady Bacon. My sister had been fully immersed in the community and she knew everybody, but I was like the young sister that we're six years apart. So it was like, she was like, don't, don't even think about yeah. talking to my sister. Like <laughs> my sister threatened. I remember my sister threatening Brad sweet, like all the time, like, don't even look at her. Don't look at her. Like that was always the, the joke. And, um, cause at the time her boyfriend worked for KKR. So, but yeah, I just, Brittany kept me far away, just far away as she could. Um, and then when Jesse passed away, it was like, I, I don't know what, it's just God's plan. I guess I, I never really like meant to be fully submerged in two racing, but I'm so glad that I ended up doing that. I would never, ever change it. But from that point I went and traveled, I went to midget week and Brian and I were close friends and he was obviously super worried about like me and my family and wanted to like Tim, your dad also like, was like very, very kind. Billy was kind. People were like, just offering, like, do you want to you want to go to the races? Do you want to get away? And I, all I wanted to do was, was get away from Kansas city, to be honest. Like it was yeah. such a, such a raw, um, wound and a hard time for my whole family. It just was really, he, cause he was like the nucleus of, mm -hmm. of our family unit, which you know what that's like yeah. Taylor to lose. Like we, Jesse was what we all gathered to watch. We all came together to support him to wear our Jesse t-shirts, to go to the racetrack, to do something together that, that brought us together. And when that was pulled away, not only did we like lose our, what was like the magnet for all of us, everybody was hurting. Everybody was in so much pain. That's where like mistakes start to happen and feelings get hurt and intentions are misread. And there's just so much going on emotionally in our family trying to, everybody's just trying to make sense of what just happened, but also there's things that need to be dealt with. There's yeah. like his things, his house, his race cars, um, debt that was owed for race car parts and like people wanting their stuff back that was loaned to him. And, and he had just gotten married and there's just, and while there's people trying to deal with this pain, but also you still have to like take, I guess the best way to say is like, take care of business and like deal with what's actually left behind yeah. it was just such a hard time in my family. There were so many raw feelings. There was so much like disagreement, not disagreement. It just was hard. It was yeah. a lot of hard conversations that were being had at once. And all I wanted to do was leave. Mm -hmm. Um, so I did. So I, so I got into, uh, the boat family's toter and went to midget week, um, hung out with everybody. It was amazing. It was like, it was like, I got a summer of, of being able to breathe before I had to go home and deal with what was going on. So yeah. I'll, I'll never forget all the people that's, that were there to support me through that summer. It was just such a tender time for me. And I think from that point, it just really birthed for me, this like huge passion to give back because I had gotten so much out of one summer and a small group of people that did nothing but give to me. Like everyone just gave and gave and gave. And so from that, I, I eventually ended up moving to Indy. Um, I got in a relationship with Casey Schumann and moved here and he had a passion for racing. And so we came to, we both wanted to do something like we, with our series that we ran, um, man, I'm just rambling on, but it's hard no. to explain. It's hard to explain like in one short sentence of like what happened and how yeah. I ended up where I'm at. I, it was such a long story of like what happened in my life to yeah. just 
breed this huge passion for the community that gave so much to me in my very, very tender time in my life. I, I, all the things that I did after that in racing, like I wanted to be successful and I wanted to have a career, but I also wanted to help the racers, like the community of racers that I felt like gave so much to me. Yeah. So through that whole chapter of my life, it just created this fire of, wow, you know, these are some of the, some of the best people, the most supportive and generous people that like I've ever met. So I want to, I want to be part of it. I really, really wanted to be a, a, a like huge part of that community. So everything I did after that was just trying to get there, just trying to prove myself, trying to make a career and create and cultivate the right relationships and all of that good stuff. Well, and I think that's the cool thing about the racing community and something that I've learned over the last five years now is that these people, they're so pure in the fact that they want to help people. Yeah. Um, they're, you know, I think when you set aside the competition piece of it and the battles for the championships, the battles to win races at the end of the day, if somebody in the racing community needs help, those are the people Blue racers would you. drop anything. Yeah. They will drop anything to, yeah, to help. Absolutely. And, um, I think that's really cool. And I think that that is so, kind of a new perspective for our listeners, especially to hear that your passion for the sport comes from, you know, this environment wow. of care yeah. and love and giving. Yeah. yeah it wasn't really about, yeah, I guess it yeah. wasn't really about like, like I loved watching Jesse race, yeah. but I never cared to be involved directly with the community from that standpoint. I just wanted to be his fan. I wanted to support him. Yeah. I mean, I, I had fun with some of those people and they were funny and we had good times, but I never like wanted to give back in any, like I wasn't connected in that way. I I was pretty much hands off on all that. And then when, when I, when I went through all those hard times and the way that people just wanted to be supportive, I'll never forget. I'll just never forget it. I just won't. And I think that what happens and how that happens is that people in racing I can't think of one person in that community that wasn't ever in like a similar position to where I was at. Everyone in racing who wants to give back, it sparked, it sparked from them being in need mm-hmm. and someone giving to them. Like everyone in dirt racing that I know got there by the helping hand of someone else lifting them up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just the, that's what makes dirt track racing such a tight knit community is that everyone that wants to help you is because they've been in your spot they get that you're not going to get anywhere until someone gives you a shot. Someone gives you a chance. And I think that's what cultivates such like pure, authentic relationships. Yeah. Not to say that like, there's a lot of drama and there's a lot, there's a lot of like, you know, like the inner family bickering. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's like, it's exactly. It's like me and my siblings. Like I love my sisters, but I will take them down if I have to with 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 sharp insults or with my fists like I am not scared to have those conversations with them whereas like it's the same with the racing community I've, I've been in plenty of hard situations with members of the racing community of disagreement discord whatever but I wouldn't have I wouldn't be comfortable enough to have those conversations with my coworkers right now yeah exactly. you know what I mean like, no exactly and that's what's right. it's 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 a different that's why it's so addicting yeah it's like <laughs> Where else in the world do I feel this at home Yeah, outside of like my nuclear family? Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Well, and you've <laughs> done some crazy stuff. So like yeah. you, I think it's so interesting hearing your story and how, you know, this love for it was kind of, a, it, it took a while to get there and mm-hmm. it wasn't something that you were like 
you know, you were born and it was like, oh, I love racing. Right. Um, but you have done so many different things. You've been a promoter. You've, you know, had a part in running a series. You've uh, been a part of um, doing stuff with the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. You've been a part of, um, you know, working with Bell. Um, You have pretty much done anything and everything. Except driving. Except for driving a race car. (laughs) I mean, I'm pretty sure at some point you may have even helped work on Brian's race cars. I did. I love to hang out with AJ and Kyle Robbins and make them teach me how to do stuff. I love because my dad, my dad built motors and I used to love helping my dad build motors. And I love like right now at my job, it's all a whole different ball game. It's motorcycle engines, which are way different, but I love just the other day I was learning about like the, what the clutch, cause I'm trying, I'm going to buy a motorcycle. I want to ride. So I was practicing my clutch control the other day. And I was like, can you explain to me what's actually happening? Because like, I feel like I could handle this. I could learn this clutch control better if I actually knew what is going on in the engine. So I love to learn about that side. I remember K Robin, I was always asking K Robin AJ, like what stagger are you guys going to run and like helping them roll out. And like, I used to love to talk about the firing order of the engine and, and you know, all that stuff. So I love that side. i never really got to be fully immersed in it, but I really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, I've done a little bit of everything. It's kind of, it's kind of wild to look back on it. I just did a women in motorsports thing like two weeks ago. Yeah. And it made me sit down and look and explain my like career, which mm-hmm. sounds weird to say career. Like, yeah. <laughs> Cause it's always just me pretty much like pretending I know how to do everything. And then, and like tell, not pretending, but like saying like, yeah, I'll handle it. I'll handle it. Yeah. I say, I'll handle it. I'll handle it. And then when it comes to handling it, I'm usually Googling or I'm yep. like, I have Googled so many things that I told people I knew how to do <laughs> like so many things. Yeah. And that's what, and, but that's why I joke about imposter syndrome because it's, I'm always like, it's a constant back and forth of like, I can handle it. I know I can handle it. But I've just never done it before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so hey, uh, I, our first podcast episode was my first time ever working in a garage band. So, you know, I just hit see? up the old Google. And there you go. <laughs> Here we see? are. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. But it's wild to look back on like, I mean, like that's I how we're all parents. We just yeah, figured it out. That's true. I mean, my saying as a mom is like, they're alive, they're cute, they're good kids. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, right. we'll figure it out. Right. My saying as a mom to anyone that was like, are you nervous or whatever? I'm like, well, cavemen raise babies, so I will be fine. Yeah. Like, like yeah. they raise babies in caves. I'll be fine. I'll figure it out. Like, it'll yes. be all right. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, I've done a little bit of everything and I've been super blessed to be surrounded by so many people that wanted to support and give me chances, um, all the way back to even just like your dad, letting me hang out and always letting me, like, I was such like an, in, like, I was just in the way, like I just, uh, an extra body that had to be like (laughs) carted around and hotel rooms and food. And like, all I did was just want to hang out. And he, he was so kind. You guys let me into your home. And like, it's all the way back to that point of just like, like giving me a chance and, and, trusting that I had good intentions of, of being helpful or whatever it was. Um, I've just been really lucky to come across a lot of people that wanted to give me a chance and be supportive of, of my passion for racing and the motorsports industry in general. Well, talk a little bit, you, you know, we, I think as a female in the sport, as you go along in your career, obviously you build a family, you, you know, buy a house, you do all of this stuff and eventually you have kids talk about being a mom and still being this badass figure in the sport. Um, somebody I look up to every day, I, which is wild. That's so wild. Um, 
I, and it's wild to hear Taylor say that Taylor was probably the first person ever to like, tell me that she looked up to me and I never expected to be someone that anyone would look up to being the baby of six kids. I was always looked like I was always watched after I was never looked up to. I was always the one getting the answers, not giving them. Mm -hmm. Um, so I will say actually that moving, moving away from Kansas city and living in Indiana away from that shell of who like I'm limited to be in that setting Mm -hmm. has really helped me grow into who I am as like an individual, as a person, being a mom was just another step into that of she, I don't know. How do I put into words of being a mom? Uh, (laughs) It is the most, it is the most, uh, oh my gosh. Like it's so hard. It's so, so, so hard, but I would, I, I would do anything for her. I would, I, I give up a lot of who I am to be her mom and I'm happy to do it. Yeah. It's, but it is a hard balance of trying to be your own person, but also being a good mom, especially with the standards right now for females, uh, especially moms. Like there's a lot of people who put standards on, on a mom to be this or that. And I find myself challenging those boundaries a lot. (laughs) Um, I just the other day, my, my niece who is 22, she's so cool. Her name's McKenzie. She's like the coolest person. And she got her nose pierced. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Like that, look how, like, it looks awesome. I was like, I've always wanted to get my nose pierced. And she was like, I was on FaceTime with her and my sister, Bobby, who's older, Bobby and I are 15 years apart. So Bobby was there in the background of the FaceTime. And I was like, Oh, I've always wanted one. And McKenzie was like, why don't you get one? I was like, well, if I get a nose ring, then everybody's going to be like, what's wrong with Brooke? Like she's going through something because <laughs> life crisis, right? Cause that's like, as a mom, that's the convert that those are the assumptions that are made of like, when you like, I also really want a tattoo. I've always wanted a tattoo. I've just never done it, but I'm like, now I'm in this, this bubble of like a mom where it's like, there's so many things that are these standards put on us by society that like, you can't do this or that. So I'm constantly feeling like I'm challenging these boundaries. And then McKinsey was like, why don't you just get a nose ring? And I was like, because then people will like be like, oh, what's wrong with her? And Bobby, my sister was like in the background, like, yeah, that's funny because like two weeks ago, one of my good friends from high school got her nose pierced. And I literally thought to myself like, oh God, like, is she okay? Cause she's a mom. And I was like, see, this is like, I don't think that you're me, like you're not meaning to put us in a put a mom in a box it's just what society has trained our brains to do yeah so to circle back I yeah I'm constantly trying to figure out this happy medium of like being my own person and having an identity that's mine but also being a, a great mom being the best mom that I can be and I think what helps me stay grounded with that conversation that's always in my head is that someday Sawyer will like, she is her own person now. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just taking care of her, Yeah, but she is 100% her own person. And what I do and what I say, I can leave impressions, but I can never control who she is or who she's going to be. So someday when she decides to really like be independent and be on her own away from me, I want to have a life waiting for me at that point. So when she turns 18 or when she moves out, when she's 22, whatever the age is that she wants to go, I want to have a life waiting for me at that point. Mm -hmm. There are so many moms that give everything they have to their kids. And then when the kids leave, it's like this empty nest. And it's so hard Mm -hmm. because like you have been giving everything you have to these children. And that's awesome. Like those moms, I have so much respect for that. It's, it's the most selfless thing ever, but I, I've. I've seen that in certain moms that I've grown up around and I don't want to, I don't want that to happen for me. I want, I also want her to look at what I'm doing and say like, I'm worth it. 
Yeah. Like, cause I think that for me, I didn't think that I was worth it until pretty far along in my life. Probably not till after I had her, I didn't look at myself as like needing to have my own identity until I was probably like 27 or 26. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because honestly it's having her and making me face a lot of my own like family history and my own, like, I guess we'll say demons or whatever you want to call it. My own obstacles that I faced through having a kid just puts it all in perspective. Like you cannot ignore things yeah. once you have a kid because your free time is gone. Like you have all, all of your decisions you make are you've got to calculate everything that's going on because you have no time anymore. So having her made me realize like, okay, I want her to see a mom that thinks that she's worth it. That Mm -hmm. because like my mom gave everything to her kids. I love my mom is an incredible person and I'm so proud of who she is and all that she's done, how, how much she's given up. But I know that I, I, it makes me sad to think about how much she had to give up of herself to be that kind of a mom. And now, you know, with all of us, she's got grandchildren and she loves to give all a lot of time to her grandchildren, but I'm like, what does my mom have? That's really hers. And there's not, you know, like she worked as a means to an end to make money, to pay for us. Like she didn't have a, a career that she was super passionate about. She was passionate about her kids, which is awesome. Again, like I, I'm, I have so much respect for my mom and I'm so proud of all that she's been able to accomplish in her life. And she's got an incredible life all of that. But for me and what I'm trying to do, I want to instill in Sawyer from a very young age that I'm making these sacrifices because I'm worth it Mm -hmm. because I like me as a female, as a, as a woman, I'm worth it. Just like men get to go out and like their time is worth it. Mm -hmm. It's just assumed that it's worth it for women. It's a little bit of a pushback because what we're supposed to be doing, like what society has said, we're supposed to be doing for a very long time is being home and taking care of the kids and not being super ambitious. It's like, no, I, I want her to be ambitious. She's, I want her to change the world. I want her to, to have the confidence to do that way younger than I did. I want her to where I am at now. I want her to be there at 18 or 16. Yeah. So I'm trying to instill all that in her. And mom guilt is a very real thing that you have to figure out how to balance for you, you know? Oh, it's crippling. There are, there are friends of mine that, you know, that, that that's what they do. They put everything into their kids and that is, that's totally what they want to do, where they want to be. I would not be as good of a mom if I did that. Like, I feel like I'm a better mom by the things that I do in my career and, um, and the things that I do that I'm, that I'm fueling my own passions, I think then makes me a better mom, a better wife. I mean, you know, makes me, um, just better for my whole family. And, um, there are definitely times where I get, where I'm just, I'm burnt out and that's when I need to go to the dirt track. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Like, like that's just. Some people don't get it. I mean, you know, they're that, but that's just, that's what, that's what my thing is. I need to just like go, I need to just be somewhere where it's just pure and what I enjoy and, um, around the people that, you know, accept me, whether it's a good day or a bad day. And, um, and you know, like that's kind of what refuels me. So that's true for figuring out what, you know, figuring out what, what you need to do to make you um, a better mom and to make you, you know, a good, um, representation for what you want your daughter to see. Yeah, that's so true. And I, I mean, I can even like, I can attest to that big time because when I left bell and I was working part, I was working from home, but not like a lot of hours each week. I was, it's more like a, it was kind of like a part-time gig working from home. Um, really being full-time mom and dabbling in work kind of was what I was doing. Um, I did that for like a year and a half. And I will say like, by the end of it, I was like, I was pretty unhappy. 
and it wasn't anything to do with Sawyer. I, I love being with her, but I just had nothing that was not, not nothing. I just, I, I wasn't fueled. I wasn't mm-hmm. so much of my, um, value in my own head comes from like being successful and, and helping contribute to the household. Like it, it was killing me that like, I, I was leaving so much for Casey to shoulder. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes from the household that I grew up in too, because my mom worked insane hours. My mom worked construction. She, so wow. she drove school buses wow. and then she drove concrete trucks until sh- she was carrying a chute and hurt her shoulder, couldn't carry chutes anymore. Then she started working in like other construction, driving water trucks and drying. She, my mom is, she did hard labor most of her life and she'd get up at, yeah, Yeah. total badass. She's scared. She's scary. (laughs) She's very scary. Um, but she's worked around construction men, which usually men in construction are pretty scary (laughs) uh, compared to like, you know, like businessmen. So she's, yeah, but she did that, but she'd get up at like three and four in the morning to make it to the site on time. And she'd get home at seven at night. And she just worked these crazy long hours and trucks without air conditioning in the middle of summer. Like she worked so hard and, I think that's where I get that mentality from is like, I don't, I want to give to the household. I want to be contributing and I don't like leaving so much on my husband's shoulders. And, and that it's just wild how our households can shape us in these ways. Um, because I, I didn't realize that was what was going on until much later, like, you know, like therapy and counseling and like the things (laughs) that you learn is just wild. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I was unhappy because I felt like I felt guilt about one that I wasn't in, I wasn't getting enough out of being a mom. I felt guilty. Like, why is this not enough for me? And I had to process through like, that's not what it's about. But so that was one thing that was weighing on me really hard. And it was weighing on me that I'm not contributing to the household in a substantial amount, which hurts, which just is hard for me. So through, but through that process, I realized like, I can't, this is not me as my best mom. I'm not my, my best self this way, working, like living at being a full-time mom at home and working on the side kind of, I'm not the best mom I can be from this point of view. I've got to get back into working, like contributing to the house in a substantial way and feeling like I have value and that. And since I've gone back to work in January, it's, it's just, it's insane. I'm, I feel so grateful about, about the job that I have and how it's, I enjoy it so much. And then I get to get home. It's been a hard transition, but then I get home and I feel like I'm a better mom. I, my time with Sawyer is so special. It's, I have less of it, but it's, yeah, it's like, it's, it's not right. It's not quantity. It's like the quality of it is so much better because I'm focused and I, Mm -hmm. and I, I feel good. Like I might be tired. I'm tired for sure, but I feel (laughs) good about what I'm doing. I I'm, I'm making a good amount of money and I I'm contributing to the house so that then Casey can feel less pressure to, to perform in his job. And it's just, everything just feels better. And I know I'm a better mom that way. Not all moms are like that. And we just, if that's the other thing is being about like being in the realm of a mom being in the, uh, it's wild to like consider my, it's just wild to be a mom in general, but like <laughs> to be like moms as peers, I would never, I never thought I would be a mom really. Like Sawyer was a surprise. I, it wasn't in my plans. And so now that like, I consider other moms peers, it's just such a wild thing to me, but to know that, <laughs> I know. Isn't that crazy? I just, I know we, no, we have these conversations. Um, do you know Haley Moore that, um, you know, yes. Haley that works for Danica? Okay. Yes. So, um, so Haley and I worked for, I worked for Danica for seven years. And so, um, Haley was in Indy. I was here in Charlotte and, um, but we got pregnant three months apart. 
So oh our gosh. boys are three months apart. So um, I was at Junior Motorsports working there and uh, they were going to transition over to Stuart Haas full time. They didn't know anybody over there and Haley was pregnant. Danica was like, what am I going to do? I'm not dumb enough to think that I can get by without both of you <laughs> at Junior Motorsports. And what am I going to do when Haley goes on maternity leave? So Haley talked her into hiring me. And, um, and so we, I literally, I worked for her for three months. We got everything organized, like a plan in place. I went on maternity leave. Um, so Haley handled it by herself for three months. And, um, the day I came back the next day, she went to the hospital to have Jack. And so, um, but I was the first person that Haley ever like turned everything over to and said like, okay, make sure that her flights are scheduled and she gets to the racetrack. And so, um, (laughs) So, but, but people were joking. They were like, wait, why are you hiring someone that's six months pregnant? (laughs) Three months pregnant. But we went through this transition period together and we talked about how, can you believe we're responsible for human beings? Like we have to keep them alive, you know, right. Right. Just things that you never thought that you would, um, that you would think about. And then your conversations switch to, um, okay, before we talk about work, can we just talk about this for a minute? And having someone that you can just kind of, that understands where you're at, that you can kind of vent and just like get it off your chest. I don't, I don't think guys do that. They, no. they like coexist. They like sit in the same space together and they no. talk about other things and that makes them feel better. But yeah. Like, and they're, they're totally conditioned to like not feel anything. So like they just suppress it yeah. all. And that's, and that's, that's a whole other can of worms that we could get into um (laughs) about men and the struggle of of that that that's its own like that's hard for guys I feel I feel really bad there's a lot of guys in my life that I I I know how hard that is to like you're not allowed to feel anything except like anger (laughs) like like that's how you that's and that's hard but you know I I agree having like peers that are like being being a mom and then now your peers are other moms is just so wild like I'm in a group message with some mom friends here in Indy and and I think that's one of the big things too to remember as a mom, a new mom, if you've been a mom, if you've got three kids or whatever, just always remember like everybody's doing the best they can. And like in our group, like all of us are doing it differently. One has a nanny, one works from home, one's a full-time stay-at-home mom. And we all are, we all are approaching it differently, but we're doing our best that we, we're all doing the very best that we can for our kids and just the control, like don't like no mom judgment and just being supportive and trying to help. It's like, it's just, it's so important to remember that the mom judgment's not helping anybody, you know, it's really not. Yeah. So that's the other thing too, that I try to keep in mind is we all are t- approaching it different and we all get our value in different ways. And just, just trying to be the best you can be for your kids is all that we can really ask of anybody. For sure. It makes me feel so much better. If I know that someone else is either going through the same thing or has gone through the same thing that they've come through the other side, you know, just just someone else that, that you feel like has experienced those things and is stronger for it. You know, they've survived it. I'm like, Oh, well I can do it too then. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like it right now. Yeah. yeah. And that's like basic human, that's basic human. Like that's how we're hardwired. It's all about, Absolutely. it's not about, it's not about fitting in. It's about belonging. You want to feel like mm-hmm. you're not alone. Like that's the, the human experience in general for everyone. Like you just being alone is, we're not, we're not meant to be that way. We're, we are totally not meant to go through life alone. And anyone who says they don't need anybody, they've got some demons deep, deep down there that they need to deal (laughs) with. Um, But like, yeah, you just, you want to feel connected. You want to feel like you're not, you're not the only one going through it. We just connection is what 
is what is again, circle back to yeah. like connection is everything, which is why racing became so important to me because it's where I felt connected most outside of my nuclear family. Yeah. It gave me that. And it's just such a special thing. So do you have some strong female influences then in motorsports? Have there been, I mean, I know everything, everything goes back to family, at least for, you know, for, I mean, for all of us in motorsports, but, um, but all these people that you've mentioned, you know, I mean, I know you said Taylor and her family, but are there other strong female influences in your career? Uh, that's a good question, actually. Um, which is, I feel like I'm giving very long answers to all these questions. Um, but I'm just, I'm a complex person, I guess. Um, it's it's funny. It's funny to think about that. Um, because my relationship with females in general has been, um, evolving like crazy in the past three years of my life. Um, I grew up in a house with a mom who had all brothers and she, was very much, she was a lot more comfortable being friends with men than with women. Um, so that was kind of instilled in me from the beginning. I, I kind of felt more comfortable being friends with guys than with girls. I felt that way through high school, through college. I really struggled with female friendships a lot, which come to find out much later in my life, it's kind of self-inflicted in a lot of the, a lot of it. Um, I, so in the beginning of my, of like my experience with racing, no, not really. Um, I, I really, but I invested in my relationships with, with men at the racetrack. I, I would spend more time talking to Tim than I would to Diana. I would spend more time, you know, talking to like, say like, I don't know, like sunshine and Brian versus like anyone. Like I, it just was so much more. It's just, I just was more natural at being able to connect with men than I was with women because of the way I was, I was brought up. I have three sisters, but they're all much older than me. Like when I was growing up in the house, I was, I my sister, Brittany moved out when I was like, oh my gosh, like, like nine or something. So I spent a lot of time on my own. And so, no, in the beginning, I really didn't connect with the very many female females. Um, even when I got to re- to working at IMS, it was a whole team of guys. Um, and I loved that job. I connect, I could deal, I could manage their schedules. I knew how to, I know how to deal with men's emotions. I've, I've managed my dad's my entire life. So I'm very <laughs> good at dealing with men with that aren't supposed to feel their feelings. That's where I get my skill is because my dad is one of, is totally that way. Like he, I have, I know how to manage him. So I know how to manage most men in racing because he's a lot like most men in racing, you know, very (laughs) particular, very technical and they get frustrated easily. So you, there's certain buttons you can't push. You can't be late. You can't, (laughs) there are certain (laughs) things you just don't do. And I just never really invested in a lot of female relationships also because like all my guy friends in racing, like they'd bring a girl around and it was like, they all had a shelf life. Mm-hmm. which sounds so cold. And I really honestly disgusted in the way that I used to look at it now, because now in my life, my female relationships are the only thing holding me together, <laughs> like, <laughs> like literally. So back then I used to just think like my guy friends would then get this girlfriend who only lasted so long. And so why even get connected? Cause she's just going to be gone. And like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that happens a lot in yeah. racing. So it's yeah. like, and it's a lot That's of caddy. Yeah it just happens. And so I never really invested in female relationships. And then, um, years later, I, I, uh, met one of my very best friends, Brittany Ward. She like, I met her in 2013 or 14. She completely shifted the way I thought about females. She showed up for me. She was one of those friends that was like, she would talk crap to my face and then cover my ass behind my back. Mm -hmm. And I never, ever had a female friend like that. Like I would hear about her covering my, like 
like, like having, having my back in conversations in a room that I was not in. I had never experienced that before ever with a female friend. And so she really was like an example, like, and it's that saying, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's like, we don't know what we're capable of until we see it until we see it reflected somewhere else. And so when she like reached for me in that way and gave me that, um, she, she reached for me and gave me a bit, like a bit, a bit of confidence. Basically. I was like, um, what um, you didn't know you needed. Yeah. I was very, very like confused by that, but, and she just kept, I kind of, I, I feel like I probably resisted, but then the more she like came, she, the more she pushed it and like, just was there for me with nothing, wanting nothing in return. Didn't like have a motivation. I just was like, you're just like, literally you just want to be a good friend. I've never had this happen. Like, this is wild. <laughs> and then I worked at bell and I, again, that happened with one of my very good friends, Allison, like same type of thing. And she always jokes. She was like, I had your pinky. You, you didn't trust me, but I had a pinky. I knew like, I knew that you wanted, like you wanted that that type of a friendship. You just didn't trust it. You would give me the pinky though. And I just kept pulling and pulling. And it's funny. Cause like just the other night we went out for Tay's birthday and we were talking about like her impression of me when she first met me. And she was like, you were intimidating. I'm like, I know I was, I was mean. I was mean. <laughs> I was, I could be very mean to females because I just, I just wasn't, I wasn't good at cultivating those relationships. I just didn't trust females. And I had my own stuff to work through in order to be a better friend. And through the years I have come to, like I said, literally my female relationships are the only thing holding me together. Most days, you know, some of my hardest, my hardest, hardest days, I only made it through because of a phone call to a dear friend. That was a girl that just held me together. Um, there's just nothing else like it. So I don't have a lot of female, like career, like in my career, I don't have a lot of females that I like was, um, that I felt influenced by. I, I can't even really um, think of like, this is, I don't have one, <laughs> not in my career, but in yeah. my personal life. Like I have, I have you've now created your tribe. You've created your, your small group. Of yeah. I will say that I'm trying, I'm trying to be, I'm trying from, from my experience, I'm trying to be that for other, for other females though. And I, even if, and I, I feel like I even come across females sometimes that have the same chip on their shoulder that I did. And I try to just be understanding the same way that the women in my life have been of like giving, just giving them a chance to understand that I don't want anything from you. I'm just trying to be your friend. I'm just trying to support you. And that's, you know, that's, that's hard. That's a, that's hard. It's hard to get through to someone who doesn't want to listen or, you know, so that's its own thing. But I, I would, I don't have a whole lot of like direct female influences in my career, which is probably why I struggled to figure out where I fit in racing for a long time, because I didn't have a female that was like guiding me in any way. I, I kind of felt like I never saw any other. Oh, you know what? Kendra Jacobs. Yeah. I was going to mention. Yeah. (laughs) So seeing Kendra Jacobs, um, I, her and I sat on a female and racing panel at Knoxville and as the first time I ever saw someone in racing that I was like, this is what I want to do. Like the way that she, like her phone's ringing off the hook. Everyone knows she's the one with the answer. She is like the face of it and deals with PR. I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. But I had never seen a female do it before her. Everyone else who did that job at every other racetrack was a guy. So it was like, until I saw Kendra, I was like, I just didn't know where I fit. I was just kind of like, didn't have a lot of confidence. Didn't think that I would get very far. Like 
I just thought there was a ceiling for me. And when I saw Kendra at that sit down, I just was like, oh, it was like a light bulb. I was like, oh my gosh, that is, that is so cool. She is incredible. She works so hard. Like she's getting up at like six in the morning, going to sleep at one in the morning and she just works herself ragged, but oh my gosh, look at all the things she's doing. And she does it with such grace. Yes. And she yeah. never looks like she's frazzled. She never, even though she like, totally yeah, is. <laughs> she is. And you know, she is because we've worked in this industry and we know how stressful, I mean, it's the Knoxville nationals. Are you kidding me? Right. Like who yeah. does that? Right. Right. A badass. Right. And, but she does it with such, like, you just wouldn't even know. And, and I remember I've texted her a couple of times during the nationals and it was about something so stupid that was probably on her <laughs> list of things to do. It was number 1,123. <laughs> and I got a text right back from her. And I was like, that's how you, that's how you handle an event and mm -hmm. a racetrack. And that's how you make people you know, come back year after year yeah. um, and want to support well, and want to be involved. In yeah. And then, Absolutely. and then you see her in, you know, turn one, turn two and turn three and turn four, wherever the party goes, she's there. She's there. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I think that that was, it's so wild. It took me a while to get to that point. I'm sorry. I really rambled for a second, but <laughs> I really couldn't think of anyone because I, but Kendra was like, I will never, that was probably a turning point in my life of meeting. When I met Kendra, it really turned things around for me of what I thought was possible because at the end of the day, right. what, what has been the most limiting for me in my experience as a female in racing has been my own thoughts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What I limit myself to being, what I've limited myself to be capable, capable of what rooms I think I'm allowed to be in and seeing her really shattered that for me. It was like, what? No, like I, why am I limiting myself to just being at this level and like being under, like being, you know, not in the same room as all the men making the decisions. There's no reason why I can't be, I, I have a lot I of love that analogy. That is my favorite thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> no, I really do No, absolutely. myself to what rooms I can be in. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Like I, I totally was doing that and seeing Kendra and just seeing the way that she carried herself and how men would come up to her with like, they'd be angry or they're, you'd hear them on the phone and they'd be angry and she never backed down. And I'm like, but why would she, in my head, I'm thinking like, that's just what we do, but why do I think that? And then it starts yeah. to make you, makes you question all the things that are built into your head of like, I don't want it to be that way. I'm going to stop letting it be that way. And yeah. it's just like, you just decide that that's what you're going to do. And you just keep again, imposter syndrome, but you just keep faking <laughs> it till you make it. And that's pretty much what I've done. But Kendra, <laughs> I will say Kendra Jacobs was the person who like, I crossed, we crossed paths and my entire life changed. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so grateful that she shattered the ceilings that she did so that I could get to where I'm at. And that's what I want to do. I want to keep shattering ceilings so that the women behind me are going to have more chances and see them their own. Um, they want to feel reflected in what I'm doing and feel empowered by seeing a female where I'm going to, where I'm trying to get to. Um, so yeah, that's a long, another long Absolutely. answer to a very good question. <laughs> these, these are great. Well, and, and I can tell you too. So the first time I met Kendra, um, I mean, like, I think my dad probably finished racing, um, about, I mean, her dad, her dad's career went a lot longer than my dad's did. And so I knew of Kendra, but when I came to Charlotte and to work in NASCAR, and people realized what my background was and that sprint car racing was my real passion, then they just assume that all sprint car people know each other, you know? So they're like, oh, well, you know, Kendra, right? And I'm like, I know who Kendra is, but I don't, I don't know her that well. So um, I got to know her when she was a uh, PR representative at Hendrick. 
And, um, and so I, yeah, because her and Roger Slack go like way back. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, because yeah, Kendra, I mean, obviously she was, I would say that she more grew up in the sport where I grew up like around the sport, you know, I mean, my dad quit racing when I was like six or so. And so we still had very close friends and family that we would keep up with and that we would go see, but I wasn't there every weekend. Um, you know, not, not when I got older and like really could have, um, you know, relationships with people. And yeah. Stuff. And I, but so, I didn't really realize that she, I didn't know where she worked in Charlotte. I just knew, I knew where I knew Roger worked in Charlotte. I knew that they were right. like roommates at a time, but I really never knew that she worked at, at Hendrix. I didn't know that that's what she did. I just knew, see, this is again, like where you're in, you're in a circle of a conversation. Roommates at one time, like she's had a lot of roommates. Yeah. She and Cheddar Bob, Cheddar Bob's famous. Um, (laughs) people know Cheddar. Um, yeah. Um, she's had, Kendra's had, uh, had interesting roommates along the way, but I can tell you that what, what you think of when you think Kendra Jacobs now, like when you see her being that like badass in charge, she's always had that to some degree for sure. But she didn't just like, she has, she's evolved. She has, you know, like, like all of us that are older, more experienced, <laughs> um, <laughs> I've to say, um, we've evolved that way. Like we all went through that time to where, you know, we, we didn't believe in ourselves that much. We didn't stand our ground. There are so many situations that I wish I could go back to now and do it over because I, I would, I would handle it differently. I would um, stand my ground more. I would get more money out of that situation, not because it's, it's the money that's important, but because it's the respect it's the, oh yeah, the, um, it's the, the level of, of like dedication and appreciation in return, right. It's that types of things. So, um, so I would just say that, um, that, you know, you're somebody's Kendra Jacobs already. So, you know, when you, when you're having that day where you're like, you know, maybe like, it's just rough. And you're like, what am I doing? I'm totally like, I don't know how to do this. This was me last um, week. <laughs> you're, I mean, but, but you're, you're already, someone already sees you as that person who is such a badass, who can handle the situation, who, um, who, you know, I mean, look in this sport and in, and in a lot of jobs that are kind of what we do in the like events, communications, marketing management type things, you can have a plan A, B, and C, but from what I've learned, it's usually like, it's like Z is what you end up using, <laughs> especially at the racetrack, like things evolve. So yes. um, I think the people that are really good at it are the ones that can kind of see those issues coming and can adapt to them and nip them in the bud before they, before other people see them. Oh yeah. I will say that like, that is a, that's a great point. And I think that my, when Casey and I did, when we promoted our series, that, that skill was really honed in at, at that point in my life, because he, Casey was very naturally gifted at that because he watched his dad run SCRA. He had been around promoting. Um, whereas for me, it was a pretty new ball game and watching him. He's always, he was always 10 steps ahead of the worst case scenario. And Mm -hmm. I really learned he's so gifted in that way. And that's why he's so he's done such a good job in the, in his career path. Now being a series director, he's just such a natural at it. And it's honestly kind of annoying because the year he (laughs) he took, and I know he took that job and then I still had to run our series war without him. I learned very quickly that I was not prepped or capable 
That's whatsoever. No way. No, no. I was not. I'm no Casey Schumann. No, <laughs> I get well, flustered. You just have a different skill set. You have a different but, way of doing. But it, I was, so. I was thrown to the wolves basically, and I just had to figure it out, and I did. It just was very, very hard for me. And by the end of that whole, by the end of that experience, I was like, this was fun, but never again. I, I, I learned to appreciate it a lot better. I, I, I definitely sharpened the knife of the, that skill set, I guess I'll, is how I could say it, but I don't know that I'd pull that knife out unless I absolutely have to, like, I've got it in my arsenal, but I don't really want to get that out. <laughs> like I will, yeah. but I don't want to. There are things Where, that we can do, but things that we don't want to do. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like he, he's just so good at not letting things get to him personally. Like someone could be upset and come to him like raging, angry, yelling, and like throwing their arms up and he will talk calmly with them and walk away from the conversation and not hold any of that personally. Whereas with me, I'm like carrying it for two months. Like, mm-hmm. why do they hate me? <laughs> Again, See, type two, type two. There you go. <laughs> exactly. Casey's an eight. Well, if anyone... It's a male, female thing too. It's just, yeah. Like well, if anyone knows about Enneagram, Casey's an eight and my mom is also an eight, which is kind of interesting to think about, but like, they just, they don't care about <laughs> being like they're fine with people disagreeing with them they like disagreement they're called the challenger so it's very much natural for them to be in disagreements and it doesn't bother them whereas for me i take it as a personal attack deep in my soul that i carry for two months and i've got to process through with like a therapist and it's really hard for me so it was super difficult (laughs) Um, but i will say that like it was a great experience and i what i took from that is invaluable it's like priceless because now in any situation in any job that i have i'm constantly I've got all the way to Z. Like you said, I've got plans for days. I will, we will get it. It's a, I call my people ask like, well, what do you do at Ducati? I'm like, well, we have a GM and I'm like marketing director, but we both like, we are just problem solvers. We problem solve all day long, like from painting the walls to, you know, learning about the friggin' uh, the uh the crankshaft the other day like just stuff like just random i just do all kinds of stuff all day it's just problem solvers and that's what's the fact that you and casey could work together on that level too that's impressive because not not all i mean like some couples can and some just can't you know there were yeah you know we there were a few nights of everyone was like, are they okay? <laughs> we would, we would, but we, we always tried to take it to the back of the trailer for those hard conversations, but like we'd be in the middle of it, which is usually like a, it's usually yelling, like we're yelling. And then people at the front, like we're in the front, like the nose where it's connected mm-hmm. to the truck. No one can see us, but they can hear us. And yeah. so then at the end of the night, when people come to get paid, cause I paid everybody. So they, everyone waited, waited at the door to get paid by me. And like, the couple of them that like knew us well would be like, you guys, okay. And I'd be like, no, but we will. <laughs> yeah. It was always, it, it was always good to have that seven hour drive home, but it's, it's really hard to stay mad at someone for seven hours on the road when you have to figure out like which cases you're going to stop out to get pizza and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> important things. And when, snacks. when you're going to switch like turns driving. So <laughs> like we, we would disagree and it was, it was hard. It was really hard on us. Um, I look, it's one of those things where like, you look back and you're like, how the hell did we do that? I don't, right. it's wild that we did it. And I don't think I could do it again. And even the first year we did it, the first year we ever did it, I was pregnant. Would never oh. do that again. Would not suggest zero out of 10. Right. Do not recommend. Zero out of 10. <laughs> don't do that. It was like, I, there were, we did the, the JHDM Memorial. So the Jesse and Daniel Memorial race in September, I was due in, in November. So I was huge. Cause I carry, I was big when I had Sawyer, I was like, 220 it's huge and so I was very very large and Casey had to race a silver crown race and it's also our biggest race of the year we had like 63 cars or something and I had to run the whole Saturday night by myself then get in our spinner van and drive it to Indianapolis by myself like I look back on stuff like that and I'm like 
how? Because he was at Eldora. Yeah. It was Four Crown. It's it's the same weekend as Four Crown usually. So he's all the way in Ohio. I'm in Missouri, pregnant, huge, tired, badass. That's how. <laughs> right. I, that's I what mean, I should provide myself. Anytime I'm feeling down, out a way to make them happen. Yeah. You know? Anytime I'm feeling down, she's like, remember that time yes. that you did that? Don't question yourself yeah. or what you're capable yeah. of. And that's that's actually I don't know if you guys ever heard of um, the. It's like a military term. Um, I can't remember which, which military arm it is, but it's like, it's called, it's something called, it's like the 40% and they, I think it's Navy SEALs. They, they just pounded into their head. When you think that you have nothing else to give, you're actually only at 40%. So when you think you're about to tap out, you haven't even hit halfway. You are so much more capable than what your head is telling you. I've really learned that is through my half marathon training. Like when you're trying to run 13 miles, you get to like mile four and five, you're like, your brain is People ask me like, what do you think about when you're running for that long? Oh my gosh. I'm like quitting. It's all I think about. I think about stopping. I'm constantly thinking about how much longer until I get to stop or what is my list of excuses of why I should stop. And then all, and then after that, then you're like, here's why I shouldn't stop. But I'm all I'm thinking about is stopping. (laughs) If my brain would just stop, if my brain would just like quit, I could do it. And that's what same with like that situation. I just was way more capable than I ever realized. And that's in general in life. It's just it's hard. Well, in this last year, I mean, like this last year has, I think, proven to everyone that you can handle more than you think you can. Mm-hmm. Because I don't For think sure. there's one person I know that beyond the the normal, like the things that everyone in the world was dealing with, I don't think there's anybody that I know that wasn't dealing with something on a personal level that was you know, adding to it in other words. So yeah. right. Yeah. And to see like when you think I can't handle one more thing, literally. Taylor would call me and she'd be like, are you okay? I'm like, I don't know, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) And and it it was wild watching the racing community really step up last year and all the things that like racing really showed up last year and was like, you can like, you cannot keep racing people down. Like there's, they are resilient. Some of the most resilient people. And last year was like, just such a proof of that. Like just so much resilience happening and people pushing through and forging a new way when no one knew what the future was going to look like. And just so many fearless people in place, just making new ways for, for it to be possible. Like, it's just wild how many like incredible people there are in racing that are, that are doing stuff like that. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to wrap things up here and Allison has a couple ending questions for you. Yeah. So we have two things that we've been trying to ask um, all of our guests. So the first one is, um, if you could interview anyone, um, someone from the past and someone present in racing, who would you want to talk to? Who would you want to know more about like the story behind their story? Oh man. Um, that's hard. Uh, we really just need ideas on people to interview when we run out of, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I, I, Hey, two birds with one stone. I like that. Um, in the past, oh man, I feel like I deserve two because I have one who's not alive. And so I'm going to say, I'm going to say Jesse, just because I would love to speak to him one more time. Mm -hmm. Um, but I wouldn't really care about like asking him about like his story. I just want to, I just want to hug him and hear him laugh really bad. Um, and then someone that I want to talk to about like their story, um, would probably probably be, oh my gosh, how do you pick between like like a Senna or a James Hunt? I'm like, I know, right? I just feel like Senna's would be such like an easy like classic answer, but I really would like to talk to James Hunt just because I find him to be fascinating. Like 
he's his the character that he was in racing is just so like raw and I, I love that character that he the person that he was I would love to sit down with him and just like ask questions about his experience in the in what it was like being made this like symbol and how he did that back then when like PR and all that wasn't even like a thing yeah. like what was that like um yeah I'll go with James Hunt for past um and for present shoot I don't know these are hard questions <laughs> present 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 um or maybe who's somebody that um that you know is you know is more complex or has um has this really great story that you feel like maybe a lot of people don't know or that they don't um I think I think that you guys I think it'd be really fun to talk to um like a a crew guy like a like a a crew guy who's been around a long time, someone like a, I don't know, like obviously your dad's been around for a long time, but, or like a, someone on the level of uh, like a Chuck Gurney or, mm. you know, oh, like yeah. Yeah. someone like that. Cause I, I have so much respect for crew guys, especially the ones who have been in it for the long haul. Like that yeah. is a, that is a grind. I have a lot of respect for crew guys. And I think that they a lot of times have interesting insight that you don't really there. Cause they're the ones they're there for all the conversations and they just don't say anything. They've got a lot of content up in their heads that, that like they don't really talk about with people yeah. <laughs> they really do because they Sorry. they're the ones in the, they're the ones in the trucks riding along yeah. at night when like the people who actually run the team are like on the phone or trying to deal with stuff like they've got a lot of good insight and a different perspective so i mean maybe a crew guy of some kind would be good for i don't sure. know Love that. there's a lot yeah. of good characters out there that's for sure mm -hmm. yeah and i can't really pick one in the present i don't know um man i i I we're gonna think of somebody later. So when you do, just send us a message. I yeah. am. I we'll put it out on social. I, if I, you know what, if I could like make Tony Stewart sit down and actually like give focus We've and talk. Said it. Yeah, I would we love like between the two of us that we can. Put like, them in the shape. Feel like we can nail him down. Right. Like I, I, I see him. I just you never have his focus. Mm -hmm. He's like he's always like he's always doing a lot of things at once or he's somewhere where everyone wants to talk to him and you don't want to be that person. Yeah. I would really enjoy a sit down one-on-one -on -one with him and him focused and just like shooting the shit. I, yeah. I would enjoy that. Cause I think he's got a lot of interesting perspectives to pull from. I There's think, more. yeah, he's the, the Tony that we know is mm -hmm. very different from the public persona. Right. That, you know, people just people from the outside that they just assume. Right. So, and it, yeah. and it seems like since he stepped away from racing, he's really hasn't done a lot of like one-on-one -on -one conversations. Yeah. I don't know that there's been a lot of opportunities for an outlet for him. Um, but this would be a great, a great little outlet for him to just sit down and, and talk about some fun stuff and just get his perspective on all the different things that he does. He does a lot of things. Yeah very hands-on I mean, is, is, is if it's something we can't put out there we can always just edit it out <laughs> right exactly yeah yeah <laughs> um okay so and the last one is what does racing roots mean to you oh um well to me it means I'm from Lee Summit Missouri and my ass lives in Indiana somehow <laughs> like, <laughs> I, like if it, it is it is rooted in me um it's in my blood it's even in the times that I've, that I've been, there have been times in my life where I've really like struggled with the racing community. Like I, as much as I love it there, have, especially in the last like few years, it's been hard, especially the way that things ended up with war and the way that things shook out with that whole experience. I, I felt pretty burned to be honest. I felt like we gave 
everything. Like I gave my time. I gave time away from my newborn child. I, we just traveled seven hours back and forth. I, I did everything I could and, and strained myself to the point of like, just nothing, nothing I've experienced. I've never experienced anything like it. I gave everything I had. And then it still felt like we couldn't, it wasn't enough. And so from that, and those are personal relationships. A lot of those people that, that we raced with were personal relationships that I felt vest, I was invested in and I felt obligated with them. And when I didn't feel like I was, I guess appreciated is the word, which sounds kind of like shallow, but it, it doesn't feel appreciated. It's so hard to walk away from that without sour feelings. Yeah. And so when we, when I finally did hang up that headset, I guess is how I'd say it. And just, I just washed my hands of it and was like, I did everything I could and it wasn't enough. And I feel like I failed on some level. Casey doesn't look at it that way. We're very different in the way that we view it um, because he's not as, he doesn't get as attached as I do, but I felt that way. And I stepped away from all of it for a little while. I just was like, what's the point? Like, you know, I, it, it's not enough and there, it's never going to be enough. And from that time away, it, it's just been hard. I've really questioned a lot of it, but then you just have to remember that people are, people are just trying to any, any decision that they're making. It's, there's a reason we don't always know the reason and we're not supposed to, and it's, you have to respect other people's intentions and motivations and just really hope that they're doing they're, they're not doing it with with like malicious intent and yeah. that's been something I really struggled with in the past few years I but you know getting back into my career and being more like away from my house and around people and especially people in racing I like being with Taylor just a couple weekends ago it just was such a like shock of like you know just because you feel like you it didn't work out the way that you thought it would doesn't mean that it wasn't worth it. Cause it was, we, we really did make a difference in what we were doing. And it was, it was such a blessing to be able to do that. And I think that, so racing roots for me is it's a, it's, it's touch and go sometimes, but it is like never going to go away. It is yeah. even when I feel like I'm disappointed in the way something went, I'll always end up back at a dirt track. I'll always end up back at Chile ball. I'll always end up back at nationals just because like, where else do I get, where else do I feel as good mm -hmm. other than with my daughter? Like, I yeah. don't like the way that I feel being at Chili Bowl with, with the, the certain people that I, that I love and being at nationals, experiencing that with some people that I've known since I was a kid, um, that I see twice a year, but I feel like I could be more honest with them than some of my closest friends. Like, isn't that the weirdest thing? I see them twice a year and I would, I would tell them like my deepest secrets, but yeah. I wouldn't tell some of my closest <laughs> friends just because but we only get to see each other twice a year because everybody travels. I guess that's what racing roots is to me is no matter where we all are in the world and no matter what's going on in our lives, if something tragic happened to me tomorrow, I know that the ones who would reach out first would probably be my racing friends. Mm -hmm. Like I have my best friends and they would be there too, which is like a very small pocket of people now, but my racing people would, would just be there in a heartbeat, even if I hadn't talked to them in a year or whatever. Like we hadn't seen each other in a long time when we went out the other night and yeah. it was just so nice, just an instant connection right back. So racing roots for me really is about connection and being, being in like a lifelong family, whether you want to be or not <laughs> Yeah, exactly. on the good days and the bad. <laughs> yeah. The good, bad, and the ugly. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking with everybody and sharing your story and I, I'm so glad that I gave you guys probably your longest episode you'll ever have because all my answers <laughs> oh, are <come> extended. <laughs> yeah. 
We love it. I even Next learned. Time I want to be I mean, there. I want to be with y'all in the same place. I know. Like, oh, I know. That would be nice. Well, you can. Well, wait, I had a lot of, I want to yeah. say I had a lot of fun. This was really fun. And I just want to tell you guys, like, this is awesome. I love that you're doing this. I've listened to both the episodes you've put out so far. I think they're really cool. I love that you guys are building this platform of connection, especially with everything going on with COVID. I just, I, I really think it's so cool that two women in racing and from like different generations and in different backgrounds, it's just such a cool place to cre- create this space for people to have these conversations that are like relaxed and, and you can learn something at the same time. I'm just really, really proud of both of you, obviously. Aww, thank yeah. you. Yeah. You're thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you guys. <laughs> thank you guys. Well, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you.